Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? I wish you could see my view because you guys look amazing. You really do. So Jordan is in India. Jake, John, and Jordan are traveling through India preaching the word of God. Yeah, so good. Sometimes two and three times a day. So keep them in your prayers. They need it. I have to start out by telling you one of my favorite little stories. It's a little boy, and he's in his auntie's wedding. And this is a really big wedding, and it's a detailed wedding. There are the coordinators going in every different direction, and everything is planned to a T. And this little boy doesn't want to be the ring bearer. And so he's standing at the very beginning of the aisle. His mom and dad are up on the stage, and he's got his little cute tuxedo on, and he's holding that pillow in his hand, and he's just looking at it. And he's looking at that long aisle. But his grandmother was in the very front row, and she had his favorite lollipop, and she was waving it. <laughs> so he's looking at that lollipop and looking at this stupid pillow, and he decides he's going to do it. So he takes the first step, and his mom and dad are like, oh, and he continues down. He gets right in the middle, and he turns, and all of a sudden, he roars as loud as he possibly can, and everybody's trying not to laugh because, come on, this is a wedding, you know, but then he turns, and he roars to the other side, and he continues roaring all the way down until his grandmother could take it no more. She jumped up, reached up, and grabbed him, stuck that lollipop in his mouth, and then after a few minutes... She said, sweetie, why were you roaring at all the nice people? He pulled it out. He said, Grammy, I had to. I was the ring bear. <laughs> Takes some of you a minute, doesn't it? No matter how hard we plan... No matter how hard we try, no matter how much effort, no matter how much faith, things don't go the way we plan. Amen? So what do we do with that? I'm going to get really real. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wasn't planning to get this real this fast, but I'm going to just get real. <laughs> so, I uh, pulled my back out two days ago and have been in bed flat on my back. Didn't even think I was going to be able to walk to be able to come to preach tonight. Uh, <laughs> but by the grace of God and the help from a lot of you, I'm, I'm here. I'm standing. I'm walking. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is good. However, I also broke out with a rash all down my lower back that's killing me. And I was like, no. But you know what? I kept telling myself, you always got to live what you preach. And so, so this isn't going the way I planned. And my flesh may be weak, but the spirit in me is strong. And so I'm going to hold my head up. And I'm going to walk to that church, and I'm going to walk up on that stage, and I'm going to preach the gospel. But then I got here. And my entire talk 
is built around slides. It took everything in me not to turn around and get back in my friend's car and go home and crawl back into bed. But I said, I may be weak, but he that is in me is strong. And so even though I want to run and put my head under a pillow someplace, I'm not going to. I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to give you what I've got. Amen. So praise the Lord. Whatever it is, it is. I'm just saying. So funny enough, I'm talking to you today about what we do when things don't go the way that we think they should go. <laughs> and what do we do when, when God's plans for our lives don't go the way that we think they should go? Which is the harder question. Psalms 139 says that, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. You know, I love that because when you sit and knit, it takes time. It takes thought. You, you don't just, not like a baker where you just whip something together and you throw it in the oven. Knitting is different. And I just sit and thought about the Lord knit us together. Like he thought about each one of us. Like what color hair would you going to have been, you know? And what color were your eyes going to be? And then he decided what your dreams and what your destiny was going to be. And what your desires, your deepest desires would be. And he knit that inside of us. And then he thought, now what are they going to need to be able to get to this? And he thought about it. And he's such an intentional God that he thought and he thought. And he literally put every single thing that we would need in us. And then he said, now I'm going to give them all the resources of heaven. And it's because he really, really, really wants us to be everything that we were created to be. Amen? So what do you do when you're seeking God? You're here when the church is opened. You're out there. You're sharing the gospel. You're sitting at the feet of Christ. You're soaking it up. You, you want him. You're hungry. And yet nothing in your circumstances show any, any evidence at all that you're on the right path, that this is leading you to where you want to go. When I was a young girl, I had seven brothers ahead of me. And, and then I had 40 nieces and nephew, nephews, but there were only four girls, and the rest were boys. And so I had this desire in me to have a little girl. And it was like this deep desire. I used to pretend and all of that. And so when I first got pregnant, I was like, and I remember going to get the ultrasound, and, and the doctor said, oh, there it is. And I was like, oh, oh, yes, it is definitely a boy. But I thought, well, you know, she's going to need a big brother, so this is really good. I got pregnant with my second one, with Riley, and the same thing, fingers crossed. And the same thing happens all over again. And then the third and final time that I'm going to have a baby, I'm 100% sure it's a girl. 
like her name is Zoe. Um, yeah, like God's blessing is all upon her life. She's called and anointed. And I literally, I was 100% sure. And I was so excited about it that I got my family as excited as I was. And I even went shopping and started loading up on the closet. Because finally, I can buy pink and white and yellow. No more blue. No more green. It's all pink now. And I went, we weren't even going to get an ultrasound because I didn't need one this time. <laughs> but we had a friend, a doctor, who said, hey, well, come on in right now. And I'll just, I'll do it. So the whole family comes in. We're so excited. Like, we're just like, you know, when that energy is just bouncing off the walls, that's how it was. And then I heard the all too familiar words, there it is. It was like the oxygen <laughs> was sucked out of the room. I couldn't think. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't speak. And the energy just went shh. And I left there. And I was so angry with God. How could you do this? Like, you put this desire in me to have daughters, and, and yet you don't even give me one. I, I didn't understand. And I would not speak to God for weeks. I ignored him. Every morning I would walk by, look at the spot where I usually met with him, walk right by it. Didn't even think twice about it. Like, I am not speaking to you. And uh, this went on for a couple of weeks. And finally, when I could do it no longer, it was hard to hold on to that anger. I went in my closet and I fell down on my knees and I just began to cry my eyes out. And I just said, God, I just don't understand. Like, I know you're good and this doesn't feel good to me. And um, I made my peace with him. And I, I remember I looked up and I said, I don't want to trust you but I just do. And I made peace, and the next day, I started to take the clothes back. <laughs> Most of them, I kept a few. Look at this. That's the little skirt. And this is the little shirt. Someday, I'm going to have a granddaughter that's going to wear this. Right? Where's Jordan? Oh, he's not here. But I'll tell you, the day that they put each of my boys in my arms, I actually had pictures to show you, but when they put baby Mason, uh, there was joy that literally exploded through my body, and I never thought about a girl again. And so, so very grateful. Uh, last year... God gave me a daughter. My son got married, and wish I could show you their picture because it was amazing. But uh, she's an incredible girl. She's beautiful on the inside of the out, and I'm so blessed to have her. But God didn't just give me one. I wish I could show you the picture that I was going to show of the gala, the Wipe Every Tear gala last night, because there is like 30 of my girls, all in one picture, all in their beautiful gowns and their makeup and their hair. Where's Addie? Addie looked like a, oh, Addie. I was like, oh my goodness, look. 
you all looked so beautiful, honestly. I, I was in tears when I saw that picture. I wish you could all see it. Um, but little did I know that someday I was going to be the mother of a house filled with daughters. Like only God could do that, right? He knew all along because God always has a plan. Always. And his plan is always good. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, it's always good. And where there is no way, he makes a way. Amen? And those who sow in but will reap with shouts of joy. But I know there are many of you, and I know this personally, that many of you are waiting. You're waiting on the Lord. You're waiting on the fulfillment of the promises. You've had words spoken over your life. The Lord has spoken to you. You have been given dreams and visions. And I know a lot of you write them down. You declare them over your life. And yet you look around and you say, but there is absolutely no evidence in anything that I am doing that tells me that I'm on the right path and that it's going where I want to go and that it's taking me to the longing of my heart. I have a word from the Lord tonight. Hmm. You have not been forgotten. Hmm. You haven't been forgotten. Today and every single day, you are on a journey, and God is moving you through a well-defined process to prepare you to be who you were made to be and what you were born to do. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're in the ministry, if you work at a church. None of that matters. All that matters is that you are on God's journey. And once you put him in charge of, of your life, he will take you through a process of preparation. So when I was in the darkest part of my wilderness experience, I literally had a book drop in my lap and it, lap, and it was called The Calling Journey. And what it did for me is it, it brought understanding to the journey and it brought me hope for my future. I wish that the slide was here because I'm gonna go through that. So stay with me as best you, could, best you can. So the first stage, there's four stages you're gonna go through and there's three valleys. The first one is when God's grace on your natural gifts produce a rapid ascent in your life. There's just, all of a sudden somebody gets saved and and all of a sudden, they're out preaching the gospel, and they're, they're saving the lost. It's just this natural giftings that, that just quickly come to the surface. Um, Joseph is a perfect example of this. Born 4,000 years ago in Palestine, uh, he was the second youngest son in a fractured family. Torn by two women, fi two wives fighting for the same husband, and a dozen sons all seeking the appraise and the approval of a father that, that they ended up rarely getting. As it turns out, Joseph and I have a lot in common. I was the second youngest of an extremely fractured family. While my mom and dad were married, uh, there were many women 
constantly fighting for my dad's affections. And these devastating relationships uh, not only caused horrific pain in our lives, but a boatload of kids, 11, possibly 12, and we were all pretty much raised together, and everyone was yearning for a father's love and approval that most never got. Yeah, Joseph was his father's favorite, and he was given special clothes, special assignments, and, and most of his father's attention. I was also my father's favorite. I was showered with money, with clothes, with sports cars, with trips, pretty much anything I wanted. Joseph had a lot of natural gifting. He was able to prophesy. He could interpret dreams. He dreamed dreams. I began speaking and preaching the gospel when I was 14 years old. I began counseling people at the same age. Joseph's brothers despised him because of all of that. And my brothers and sisters despised it. It's also, um, while these early stages of favor were clearly from God, it's also very clear that Joseph wasn't ready for it, and neither was I. I was a broken girl consumed with fear. Didn't know that, but I was. Joseph was an arrogant pretty boy whose father thought he could do no wrong. And that is what led us both down the mountain of natural promotion into the valley of dependence. <clears throat> this valley is a time when we have to figure out who we're going to trust for our future. Are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to figure this out? Are we going to get up early and pay the price? Are we going to work hard? Are we going to go get more education and, and figure things, how to get smarter, read more books? Are we going to figure our future out and make our dreams happen? Or worse, are we just going to give up and stop hoping? You know, then we don't get disappointed. You know, and so we just kind of find this comfortable way of life. You know, we're good. You know, we're serving the Lord. You know, we're good people. We're doing the right things. But we know in our soul that we're settling, that we found this comfortable little niche that really kind of works for us. Or are we going to put our trust in a God that sometimes seems absent and sometimes gives very little assurances, but in the end is faithful? So the valley of dependence is an important part of your process. So I'm asking you tonight, who are you trusting for your future? Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and he was stripped of his special robe, his favorite, favorite position, his rights, and his future. I had an amazing ministry. I had an incredible family, friends. I was living, I was, I was the wife of a successful surgeon, living in my dream house with all the luxuries that life had to offer, and I was stripped of everything. For Joseph and I, thoughts of greatness quickly turned to thoughts of survival. Anybody ever been there? Mm -hmm. All we had was God, which led us into the next stage, preparation. Preparation is the longest part of your journey. 
It's the middle. And this stage is about developing the skills and the experiences that you're going to need when you get where you're supposed to go. You have to develop them. And an important part of this stage is, is really understanding and becoming integrity, becoming humility. It is so easy to have so many motives for the th why we do the things we do. I can tell you that I, like I, was a, I was preaching the gospel, I was praying and delivering people, and yet so many of my motives were all about me. Like I thought it was a good thing, I was doing these great things for God. No, yeah, God was in that equation, but I was still trying to answer my soul's question. Who are you, Robin? Are you worthy? Are, do you have what it takes? And so I was looking for all of you to tell me that I did have what it took, right? And so, so part of that, that stripping is, is getting down to the core. What are our motives? Why do we do what we're doing? And, and that's why God is through these processes, because he has to purify our heart. Joseph was learning to manage a household. He was leading a staff, and he was learning a whole new culture. But then he goes through a second betrayal. Remember when, when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, did what she did, and he ends up in prison. Poor guy. <laughs> Come on. You know, enough already. It's how I felt when the slides didn't show. Are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> Like, come on, enough is enough. But while he was in prison, something began to happen in his heart. Things began to shift. And the formerly pampered golden child starting to step into a place of humility and anointing. The first part of my preparation stage was about learning to suffer well and about fighting for my freedom, and about fighting for my identity. It was time to figure out who I was and stop looking for the things that I did or the reinforcement that I got to tell me who I was. I, had a, I made a commitment that I was going to find who I was, and I was going to be free, and it, if, it, or, or bust, like kill me then because I'm not living my life like this anymore. I have to know who I am. Who does he say that I am? Because it is time for me to step into that. It takes too much time and energy to stay over here. I also had to face my fears. Oh my goodness. I had no idea that I was consumed with fear. Um, and I also had to learn to forgive. The second part of my preparation stage was attending ministry school and getting the skills that I was going to need <laughs> to do what I'm doing. In this stage, the truth, though, is that God really isn't concerned about what you're doing. He's concerned about who you're becoming. And we must live in this preparation stage. We must live in the tension that God has a plan. He really does, but it's not yet. It's not yet. 
Do you remember when the king threw his baker and his butler in prison? He like is, and Joseph gets the chance to interpret their dream. And when he does, he like is like, that last little thing that I'm going to make my future happen comes out. And he says, go and tell the king. Go and tell him what I've done. And he'll come and get me out of prison. But what happened is that they forgot. And he now enters into the valley of wholeness. For two more years, Joseph sat in that prison. And that's where God's greatest work was done in his life. I entered into that valley when I was in ministry school. I was in the middle of ministry school. And um, my son, Mason, who was in high school, he decided to move back home to Boise. And um, I had already, God had had me on a journey, and uh, I had made a covenant with him, and, and I, he was being faithful to it, and I knew I had to be faithful to it, and I told him, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't planning to tell you the covenant, but I feel led to. So when God started stripping me of all of this, I, I wanted to quit, because he had asked me earlier if I was willing to lose my life for his. And I told him no twice. And the third time that he came to me, I had been praying for my sons, praying fervently. I was seeing things in them I didn't like. And I just kept praying, and nothing was happening. And, and finally, one day, the Lord came to me, and he said, Robin, it's generational. And he said, it's going to cost you your life. Are you willing to lose it? And like I said, I told him no twice. And finally, the third time, I fell on my face. And I just wept, and I said, okay, let's get it done. And it turned so bad, so quick, that I reached a point where I said, I'm done. I changed my mind. I'm out. Like, like I don't even feel like you're good. And uh, I wrestled with God for nine hours. And finally, I got in the shower and turned on all the nozzles. It was like a car wash in there. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> as I'm getting drenched, I, the Lord kept saying, I love you, Robin. I love you. And I kept saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. This isn't love. This isn't what love feels like. And he kept saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And finally, I just broke. And uh, he said, and I want you to keep going. And I looked up and I said, Okay. I will keep going. I said, you make a covenant with me. I said, you promise me that my three sons will grow up to be men of God, and I will go wherever you ask me to go. And I had a prayer chapel in my house, and I went and I wrote covenant on the wall, and I signed it and I dated it. And that's when the real journey began. But I will tell you, two months after that, Jordan and Riley, because they were the older ones, Mason was little, both had an encounter with God that changed their life. And they went in the prayer chapel and they wrote their covenant on the wall and they signed it and they dated it. And then our world blew apart. So here I am. I have been on a seven-year journey with God. He has made, I have gone through three major moves in five years. And now here I'm in ministry school, bought a home. I'm there and my son is going to go back home. 
and he had every right to. This was his home. These were his friends. But I'll tell you, for a mama's heart, that was not an easy time. The valleys are not fun. But I can tell you that the best of who ye become, the thing that causes your greatest impact on the world, take place in those valleys. And when you get to the other side, you look back, and although you would never want to do it again, you're filled with gratitude because you know that you could never be here and you could never do what you're doing had you not crossed the valley. The next stage is good. <laughs> They're all good. Is the releasing stage. The day of the release is a sudden change when God literally opens the door to our calling. And in one moment, your entire life can change. Joseph, he's summoned to the king and to interpret a dream. And this is a pivotal moment in his life, truly. I mean, this is going to show what he's made of. Because this is his moment to shine. He's getting to go in front of the king. And, you know, he has all these giftings and he knows it. He shaves and cuts his hair. And there he is standing before the king of Egypt. And the king says to him, I have had a dream. And no one can interpret it. But I've been told that you can. And here is his response. It is not in me. But God can do this. He has embraced being a servant, dying of his selfish ambition, and he steps into humility, and instead of promoting himself, he promotes God. Do you see the shift that took place? He steps up, he interprets the dream, he so impresses the king with his wisdom and with his humility that the king hands him the reins to the Egyptian economy. How's that? Pretty good. My call came when I was about to finish school, ministry school, and had no idea because I was living on the voice of God. So... Where was I going next? I, I was waiting. And the boys and I have known that God was calling us to start a church, to build a healthy family. But I can tell you, there was not one thing in my circumstance that said that it is the time now. In fact, it was just the opposite. Everybody was in their situations and, and nothing was including me. I can tell you that. And then suddenly... I love those and then suddenly moments, everything changed. Everything changed. And within about three days, I, I knew where I was going. I knew what I was doing. I put my house on the market. I saw these crazy miracles happened. And I can tell you where there was no way, he made a way. And here we 
are. <laughs> so how good is God? Here we are. This is birthed out of a, a journey of faith with God. Isn't that great? The last valley is of identity. This usually comes later in life being prepared. Are being prepared to be to being prepared. Uh, Joseph must come to terms with his past. So God sends the valley of identity with the return of his brothers that compels him to let go of being betrayed and take on his calling identity as a preserver of life for his family line. And God calls me back to the place of my greatest betrayal. You see, I didn't think I could ever live here again. I thought I lost home. Because here is where all the people that I loved and trusted the most in the world betrayed me and left me and kicked me while I was down. And so when he called me to come back to Boise, it was a, a big step of faith. And when I got here, he showed me something. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Love wins every single time. So God filled me with his love. And then he built the foundation of this church on that love. <laughs> How good is that? Do you know why when people walk in, they say, I feel like I'm home? Because you're loved. Love wins. We can never give away what we don't have. So we have to be willing to surrender to the process of preparation so that we will be able to not only have the capacity for the call, but we will have the humility to carry the call. The last stage is where your entire journey comes together your being and your, and your doing come together for maximum impact. And you get to live in that for the rest of your life. Do you want me to tell you something too? Did you know that when you settle and you stop, see, if you, if you don't continue through the process, then you just stop in one of those stages and then that's where you spend the rest of your life. And God gives you do-overs. He'll let you do the same thing over and over and over and over until you finally get victory, right? And so 
you can either live your life in those, in those stages or you can step into the releasing and you can literally enter into the life that you were created to live and you can have everything that was supposed to be yours. But that's not even the best part. The best part is that your children get every single thing that you fight for, right? Guess what else? Your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren get every single victory that you won. Tell me, is it worth surrendering to the process? Yes. A thousand times, yes. No matter how hard it gets, yes. Chris Vallotton, who is the leader of my ministry school, whom I love and respect, he told us that there is no shortcake cuts through the process. However, you can prolong it. And so I want to tell you four simple things that are going to help you get through as quickly as possible. These are quick. The first one is choose to believe. You have to make the choice to believe him. I was laying in bed yesterday saying, there, it's going to take a miracle for me to get out of the bed, much less preach tomorrow night. But I was like, Lord, I choose to believe that I'm going to be standing up there preaching the gospel. But I have to tell you my favorite story, my own personal favorite story. In the probably the lowest time, um, in the worst, it was the time that I was betrayed. My, my a woman's greatest fear is to be alone and abandoned. I don't know if you all know that. Um, but I was facing my greatest fear. And I was in so much pain that I would literally open my Bible and I would read it till I was so drowsy, and then I would lay it on my heart, and I would fall asleep just believing that God was going to just, just, just protect my heart. And he woke me up one night, and he said, I want you to read Josh about, about Joseph. And I turned my light on, and I started reading, and at the end, he said, Robin, I've called you to lead leaders. And he said, you're like, he said, I, you, are, you are like Joseph, and, I've call, and you are going to lead leaders. And I chuckled. <laughs> huh, okay. I don't even have anybody left in my life, so I don't know where these leaders would be. But... And so the next morning I went out, and Jordan was up early, and I told him. I said, listen to what God told me last night. And he's like, wow, Mom, sounds like you believed him. I was like, ouch. And right then my phone blows up with text, and it's from Riley. And he was in San Diego at the time. And he said, Mom, I'm up praying, and God spoke to me and told me that you are like Joseph, and he's raising you up to lead leaders. I handed the phone to Jordan. I went in my room. I fell on my knees, and I said, God, forgive me. I said, I was just like Sarah when you told her that you were going to give her a son in her old age. She laughed at you, and so did I. And I said, God, if you tell me that someday I'm going to lead leaders, I'm going to believe you. And I began declaring that over my life. I am a leader of leaders. Ah, I'm a mess. I am a leader of leaders. <laughs> yeah, so I'm graduating from ministry school the first year. And, and there's a really prestigious honor that they give away. And uh, I was um, nominated for this. And you had to go through all these interviews and all this stuff. And, and at the very end, there's a handful of us. And one of the leaders of the school, um, she said, I just want you to know that we only have one award, which I didn't get. But she said, 
Uh, but the most important thing, and she looked right at me, and she said, is that you need to know that you are a leader of leaders. And I started hysterically laughing. I was laughing so hard that everybody in the room started laughing. We were falling over on each other. It was holy laughter. And I was driving home going, I'm a leader of leaders. Like, I'm a, I don't know how this happens, but I am a leader of leaders. Number two is choose joy. Psalm 1611 says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. We get to choose joy. My favorite story, a good friend of mine went through a divorce. It was at the end of it. It was brutal. The kids were hurting. And this little eight-year-old girl, what that's like from church camp. And we picked her up. And she's talking 100 miles an hour. You know what that's like, parents. Telling about every single story they can think of that happened at camp. And she's going and going and going. And she goes, and mom, I met a friend. And her family is just like ours. And then she said, no, 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 she's not like our family. And she starts to get to her pain. She's like, I meant they have two boys and one girl. And I turned around and started asking her questions and help. I just wanted her to let that pain out. And so, so all of a sudden she connects with her pain and she just starts crying. And she's like, yes, and I don't understand. Everybody always asks me why your parents are divorcing and I don't know. And she's just, she's just wrecked. And then in the middle of this, she stopped. <sighs> she took a deep breath, and she's like, but I choose joy. Now I was wrecked. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She was so powerful to know at eight years old that she can literally bring heaven down. Heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. When we choose it, we pull it down and bring it into our atmosphere, even though our circumstances might stink. We can still be filled with joy. Number three, we must celebrate others. We cannot get what we want until we learn to celebrate when others get it first, right? John Maxwell talks about the large birds who fly great distances to different continents, and he says they have a few remarkable qualities that enable them to do this. The first one is that no bird stays out in the front all the time. They take turns. And secondly, all during the time while one bird is in the front, the others are honking their affirmation. You will get what you want when you celebrate when others get what they want. And the last one is never give up. When I was in the seventh grade, I saw a poster on a wall, and it said, winners never quit and quitters never win. And that stuck in me, and I decided that day that I was going to be a winner I was going to just never quit anything I committed to. And uh, I want to tell you something. The journey can get long. It does. And sometimes it's painful. So I want, you to, I want to tell you that you have to embrace your pain. See, most people run. They run from their pain. They self-medicate. They drink wine in the evenings, take the edge off. They, they shop. Anytime they get extra money, even money they shouldn't spend, they go shop because it kind of just, you know, takes that, the, the pain away for a moment, but only for a moment. 
you have to face your pain. You have to understand that it's part of your journey. And then you have to remember that you're not alone. Listen, these last two days, I have been so loved on by all of you. We have a family here. We have a family that's going to help each other, encourage each other, pray for one another. I had two or three or four people gathered around me during worship, praying over me. And I'm just laying there, just sitting there rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus. So you're not alone in this journey. We're a bunch of leaders in this room, and we're going to go all the way, right? We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to settle. We're going to change the world one day at a time because we are going to become everything that we were created to be. No matter how hard it gets. If it gets too hard, come talk to me. I'll encourage you. You can do it. Literally, you have it in you. You have it around you. You have the resources from heaven. And I wanted to close with my favorite thing, and it's not there. So I'm going to have to do it for you. You know, I'm going to have to do a cheer for you. We can do everything. No, that's not it. That's not it. Okay, I know nothing about sports. I'm the worst, but I'm going to pretend. It's the Georgia Tech versus Notre Dame pregame speech by the chaplain. And you should go home and YouTube it. But he basically has given them this inspirational talk, and it's so good, and he's so passionate. And, and all of a sudden at the end, he's like, okay. He's like, we're going to fight. Tell we can't fight no more. We're going to lay down. We're going to bleed a while. We're going to get back up. And we're going to fight some more. Now we're going to do it together. <laughs> you ready? We're going to fight till we can't fight no more. We're going to lay down. We're going to bleed a while. We're going to get back up. And we're going to fight some more. Amen? Amen. And now I have to close with my life scripture that has been by my side, that has encouraged me in the darkest of hours, that has given me hope when there was nothing that, that, that should have given me hope. So listen to these powerful words in Peter. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and your sisters who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.